0: Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. So, uh, is that like not an incredible song or what? If it's not incredible to you, you may not know Jesus, I'm just saying. I mean, that is beautiful. Thank you guys for leading, in, leading us us in that. Hopefully you had an opportunity to worship God. All right, well, let's go. I want you to open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. We're going to finish chapter 7 today in this amazing prophetic book, in this amazing prophetic chapter of this prophetic book. Last week we started a two-part message sermon series called Back to the Future. Now, I talked about, you know, did you know Marty McFly? Because that's an old movie. I hadn't seen that movie literally in probably 20 years. Last Sunday afternoon, laid down on the couch about 4 o'clock, surfing through channels. What do you think's on A&E? Back to the Future. The whole series. I watched the whole show, enjoyed it. The whole time, it's like the Lord was saying, see, I'm even ahead of of A&E. They got nothing, okay? And it's so good. So that's what we're going to look at today is Back to the Future, Part two. Now, what this is all about is, is going back in time to look forward into future. And I want you to understand what Daniel saw is significant. It's not just significant because uh, three-fourths of it or more has already uh, come to fruition, already been completed. But the reason it's so important to look back and see uh, what he said and what he saw from God is because part of it has yet to be unfurled. Part of it we haven't seen yet, and you and I could see it. Now, we may not see it because it may be after our life, but I truly believe we are at the the threshold or the corridor that walks into uh, the future events of God's final timeline. I believe in the imminent return of Jesus. What I mean by that is He's coming back and there's no prophecy that needs to happen for Him to come back. It's all part of Him coming back. In other words, the only prophecy not fulfilled includes Him coming back. Okay, so he's going to come back. Now, what we saw last week, remember Daniel uh, has gone through a whole lot of stuff. He's an old man now. He's in his 90s, and in the night, he has this vision where he's standing on the shore of the sea. The sea represents uh, humanity or mankind. And while standing on the sea, the the sea, the winds begin to blow, and the sea gets crazy. It just starts rocking and rolling. Waves are crashing. And he sees these four four beasts emerge from the sea. And we saw last uh, week, the first three, we saw the lavish lion. The lion represents the first kingdom, which he was a part of, which is the Babylonian kingdom. It was led by Nebuchadnezzar. It's the kingdom of gold. On a personal level, it's about a kingdom in our own personal life where we're about material possessions, where we worry more about stuff more about gold than we do God. And so it's a tendency of mankind. It moves from that to the second beast, which is the bully bear. The bear that emerges from the sea is a bully. It says he just rolled through town with brute force. He took over Babylon. This is led by King Cyrus. And it is uh, the nation of the Medo-Persians. It was a bear kind of lopsided because the Persian nation was bigger than the Medes when they came together. And so it's more powerful. Some refer to them as the Persians. It's led by Cyrus. That led us that is about the God of, of power, about how we, have, we can sustain ourselves. We don't need God in our life. The third one we saw is the lethal leopard. This is a quick, agile animal, and it's ferocious, and you know it, it, it can catch its prey and destroy its prey. But this one is different. This is about the God of self. This is the grease. Uh, this is when Greece came in and took over Medo-Persians. So, here we go. You ready? You got Babylon, amazing nation, fortified, it's incredible. And they thought they were undefeatable. And yet, the Medo-Persians defeated them. And then now, the Medo-Persians think, man, we got it going on, there's nobody that can defeat us. In comes Alexander the Great with, the Greek, with his Grecian army, and he, they took over. And so, it's not over. There's never a power on this earth, never a human power that will that 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 lasts. You look around. Any leader you've ever thought was an amazing leader, they're gone. Okay? But there's one common denominator in the whole thing called the world's existence. You ready? God. The sovereign God of the ages is, is always there, always constant, always ruling, and he will never be defeated. He's always on his throne. He's never alarmed. He's never fearful. He's never surprised. He orchestrates and allows everything that Satan and mankind wants to throw his way, and he manages it all, and in the end, he's still seated on his throne. The second thing that's a common denominator in this story, and it's true for us today, is the fact that the the children of God, the child of God, is constant. Daniel, no matter who the king is, no matter what new rules are at play, no matter how everything changes around him, no matter what the circumstances are, Daniel's still a child of the Most High God. And I want you to know today, in 2020, if you're a child of God, He never changes. You don't have to change. You just hold your head up in the midst of whatever circumstances come and keep marching forward according to His plan, His will, and His way, and you will be fine. Now, why is it so important to look back at history in the in prophet in the prophecies of Daniel? It's because if Daniel gets his prophecy right in what has been already fulfilled, then he will get right the part that hasn't been yet fulfilled. And I'm going to tell you in advance, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. What's coming up is some good stuff, all right, for the children of God. Now, in the first 3, he nailed it. He nailed it with it's so odd that, that he knows because God knows what's going to happen in the future. How odd is it that he, it, it, just to guess, there's people who guess, you know, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read your palm and tell you how long your lifeline is. You know, I'm going to do these things. But it's, it's different when you, when you nail it with precision like Daniel did. Here's one of them. Alexander the Great, the leader of Greece, he had uh, 35,000 soldiers, okay? He conquered the whole world with 35,000 soldiers. He conquered Babylon slash Medo Persia uh, with, with 35,000 soldiers against listen 250,000 soldiers. It's not supposed to happen, and yet Daniel said that's what's going to happen. Why? Because God said to Daniel that's what's going to happen. So if, if all of that has taken place, then what we're going to talk about today is is going to take place. Okay. Now it's going to get worse before it gets better. I want you to I want to I want to introduce you to Beast number four. I call him the satanic sidekick. The satanic sidekick. I can't use an animal like a leopard or a bear or a lion because Daniel didn't have an animal to use as a mascot for this beast. So, and so this is like um, Tonto is to the Lone Ranger. This is a sidekick. This is like uh, Barney is to Andy. This is like Robin is to Batman. It's a sidekick. Now, why is there a sidekick? Why would Satan the dragon have a sidekick? Because Satan cannot create. Satan can only imitate. You remember? Everything he sees God do, he wants to do so bad because he wants to be God. But he cannot create, so he imitates. God is a triune God. It's a trinity, right? There's God the Father, 100% God. There's God the Son, whose name is Jesus, 100% God. There's God the Holy Spirit, God, 100% God. And yet there are three persons and one. Don't even try to figure it out. It's bigger than your gray matter will allow. So Satan, meanwhile, watches and says, I want to be like that. Okay? So he says, okay, I want to be God, the dragon. Satan says, I want to be God. Okay? And then he says, well, I need my other two uh, uh, companions. So along comes the Antichrist, which is his Jesus. It's his flesh, um, flesh tool for doing his work on this earth. So the Antichrist is like, wants to be like Jesus. And then you got the Holy Spirit and he needs the Holy Spirit. That's the beast. That's the other beast. That's the church, the harlot. Okay. So he has a trinity just like God, only it's a fake. It's an imitation. Now, keep in mind here in chapter 7, beast, beast number 4, Daniel is still in his mind standing on the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. These beasts have come out and now another one shows up. Look at verse 7 the satanic sidekick. It says, after these things, pause right here. You remember how much verbiage and and verses we got for the other beast? Like a verse or two, very limited. The rest of the chapter has to do with this beast. Partly because he's already been here, but his kingdom is not complete. Okay, watch this. He says, after these things I was watching in the night visions, a fourth beast appeared. One dreadful. There's no animal. I I, I don't have an animal to describe this. I don't have a mascot, so I'm just going to tell you what he is. He's dreadful. He's terrible. He's very strong. He had two large rows of iron teeth. That sounds pretty wicked. It devoured and crushed anything that was left trampled with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that came before it. And it had ten horns. The satanic sidekick. Now, who is this satanic sidekick? And has part of, what part of it has already come to fruition? Well, if you study world history... You'll see, as you see these empires rise, landing with Greece, the nation, the empire that took over Greece, which was not supposed to happen, would be Rome. Rome, led by the Caesars, would take over the world. And and you remember in Daniel chapter 2, the image of the statue, we'll look back at it in a few minutes, it progressively goes down from gold to silver to bronze to iron to clay. We're in the iron part, okay? Rome is known for making things of iron. They had foundries. They would melt metal, create iron, and form all of these the, the weapons used for warfare. That's where the iron teeth come in. Rome is known as a kingdom of iron. They stomped and abolished everybody that got in their way. Now, we don't remember Rome for that, typically, unless we watch a movie, an old you know a movie about Rome. When we think of Rome, we think of like architecture, art, Literature, culture, okay, this sophisticated society, and they were that. They were the first country who had a Senate-led government. They were the first country, to one of the first countries to provide an aqueduct, to provide fresh water to everybody that lived there. They were one of the first countries to uh, provide a food source where they planned out a food supply for the whole kingdom, all right? It was a nation that created a road where you could travel safely from from, uh, city to city to city. It was a city that provided a police force for protection. I mean, they had it going on in some areas. That's what we think about them being. That's not all they were. You see, there's more. They had a thing, the whole Rome, the whole water system, the whole food system all fell under this this, uh, motto, which was called Pax Romano. Pax Romano means peace for Rome. And it's cool if you're Roman. It's cool if you are willing to subscribe to Roman guidelines and do everything they say, it's peace for you. But if you think for a second, you're going to sidestep that and live like a Christian or live like someone outside of Rome, that's when the other side of their nature came out and they would stomp you in the ground and obliterate you. Uh, what does that look like? Okay, think about when this is, okay? Their rule started in uh, 168 B.C. before Jesus. Something happens in the middle or in the first third of their empire reign. Jesus, God, comes onto the planet, changes the whole calendar from B.C. to A.D. He steps onto the scene and they hate him from the first mention that there might be a new king in town. And you remember, in the Christmas story, you'll remember that Rome, that Caesar heard, or Herod heard that Jesus is here, that God's Messiah is here. And the first thing he does is, oh, let's, let's find out where he's at. I want to introduce myself to him, okay? I want to be his friend. No, no. What he wanted to do was annihilate him. So what did he do? he issued an an edict to murder all the little boys of that age bracket. So in hopes, he would murder Jesus. The same Roman rule, this sophisticated cultural, architectural, art, literature, empire would be the ones who would nail Jesus to a cross and crucify him. It would be the same leadership Roman rule that would take uh, Peter and hang him upside down and crucify him. It would be the same people that would take Paul and behead him. It would be the same people who would take John, the beloved disciple, the revelator, and boil him in oil in hopes of killing him, but he didn't die. They would cast him onto an island where he would see the future called the book of Revelation. This is who the Roman leadership was, all right? And it wasn't all happy, and it wasn't all about uh, culture. Not only that, as, as the people of the way, which is what the New Testament calls the Christian community, as the church began, Rome would take them and feed men, women, and children to beasts or wild animals in the arena. And they would have these events often at night. And to light the road going up to the arena, they would take large timbers, build a fire underneath it, and impel men, women, and children to these stakes and ignite their bodies to light the way to the arena. That's Rome, you see? So when Daniel says, man, this thing is vicious and vile, it's, it's strong. It's got these iron teeth. What he's seeing, it, it, he's, it, he's fearful of. But the vision, Rome came and Rome went, but it's not complete yet. Part of Rome still exists and that's what we're going to see. Now, before we get to it, I want you to understand something. When, when we talk about what we're getting ready to see, when we talk about Rome not being done yet, there's still a Rome, okay? But the whole satanic uh, uh, structure behind who Rome was still exists today. And it exists in Western Europe, all right? It's just like the nation of Israel. They've been defeated so many times in battles and wars, displaced, moved, scattered. They still exist. They still have a place in God's eternal timeline. And so does Rome. So now watch what happens in verse 8. He says, as I was contemplating the horns on the beast's head, okay? He says, another horn, a small horn, a little horn. (laughs) I just think that's funny. The what he's getting ready to describe... To describe, it's called little horn, okay? Sounds innocent enough. A little horn, a small one, came up between them, and three of the former horns were torn out by the roots to make room for it. This horn now, hold on. He just now, he's moving from this beast that is an it to a beast that becomes a person. He says this beast now, this horn, this little horn, he said he had eyes resembling human eyes and a mouth speaking arrogant things. So everything changes on the satanic sidekick. He moves from a beast now to a person. This is the part that hasn't unfolded or unfurled yet. There is a day coming when Rome will emerge. You know the ten horns? We'll see in a few minutes. Daniel will tell us what those are, their kingdoms. Revelation will tell us that on those those horns will be diadem, crowns. These are ten little kingdoms that come together called... A ten-nation confederacy. It'll be probably Western Europe. It might be France, England, Switzerland, whoever, Germany coming together. And now they're going to have all of the answers to the world's problems. Now, what will set the stage for somebody to come onto the scene that'll have answers for questions that are greater questions than what we have even in the middle of our pandemic? Okay, you ready? Let's, we got to unpack this just a little bit so we know how that happens. Okay? So, Jesus is going to come back. All right? The Bible tells us over and over and over, He's coming back on a cloud. He's splitting the sky. He's taking His church home. It's called the Harpazo, the catching away. Those that are dead in Christ, their bodies will be exhumed from the graves around the world. The spirits will come back with Jesus. They'll be reunited. They'll start Going toward Jesus, meet him in the cloud, those of us that remain, we'll meet them. We'll, we'll catch up with them. We'll get glorified bodies, and we'll go meet with the dead saints who have been reunited with their spirits. We'll meet Jesus in the sky. Now, that's a mouthful right there, okay? And if I lost you right there, you can go back and watch the video, because what I said is what Scripture tells us, okay? And I believe it, okay? Now, here's the thing here's the thing. When a certain part or percentage of the world population is instantaneously removed from this world from this globe you think the, you think covid messes some people up you take away a bunch of folks airplane pilot shoo, gone you know you know what i'm saying okay your taxi driver or your uber your uber driver you know habib you know or whatever his name is you know gone you know and you're left all right your boss is gone and you're left somebody said praise the lord Not praise the Lord. If he's gone and you're left, do not praise the Lord. You're still here. That means you missed the bus, okay? So the church is gone, all right? And the world flips upside down. And so you think there's ecological problems now. You think there's economical problems now. You think there's emotional problems now. You wait till Jesus comes, takes the church away. The whole world flips upside down. And it sets the stage for somebody to step up and say, whoa, 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 you got questions. I got answers, okay? Now, we're going to learn something about this diabolical sidekick of Satan's. Uh, he'll emerge, we're going to learn, from this ten-nation confederacy. He's going to be a Roman. He's going to be a European, more than likely. Okay, now, Daniel chapter 2, let's look back, and let's look at what Daniel, what Nebuchadnezzar saw. He didn't understand. Daniel told him what he saw. Okay, you remember the first statue? It's really amazing how we see the devolution of mankind. We're not getting better We're getting better, okay? Um, We we think we're getting better because we do amazing things, right? We can send people into outer space with relative ease. Strap them to a chair, put a rocket underneath their hind end, and shoot them off into Mm -hmm. outer space. Mm -hmm. And they come back and tell about it. Unless, like my grandfather, he believed it was all a conspiracy. It was all made in, uh, in Hollywood, okay? But no, they do that, all right? And so we think we're getting better. We have technology. Okay, we've got these amazing super phones. I got a new one, and it's so smart, it's smarter than me. I'm not getting a watch because I ain't that smart, okay? So, so we have these phones. We can talk to people around the world with a computer the size of our hand in our pocket, all right? We can look up anything on the planet we want to know right here in this little phone, all right? We're, we're getting better, right? We do great things, right? But at the same time, this year we will murder 43 million babies, unborn, for convenience. This year alone, we'll stand by and watch 9 million people starve to death around the world. Now, we won't watch it because we don't want to see it. We won't watch the murder of a baby because we don't want to see it, but we're doing it, okay? At the same time, we we allow things to happen one after another that point to the fact that we're not getting better, we're getting badder. Now, watch what happens in this statue. The statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw that Daniel had to help him understand what it meant. He says, you, O king, were watching as a great statue, one of impressive size. It's a picture of mankind. An extraordinary brightness was standing before you. Its appearance caused alarm. He says, as for the statue, its head was of fine gold. That would be the Babylonian kingdom. Its chest and arms were of silver. That would be Medo-Persia. Its belly and its thighs were of bronze. That would be Greece. And its legs were of iron. That's the Roman Empire. Now watch this. He says, and its feet, this thing that we have. We've seen all of that. All of that is complete. We haven't seen this yet. He said, its feet were partly of iron and partly of clay. So the Antichrist is partly Roman or European culture and mindset and partly human. Okay, clay, you remember where you came from? Dirt, all right? In Genesis, God picks up some dirt, whispers life into it, out comes you, okay? And so we're always referred to as dirt or clay. So in this final thing, the Antichrist, which we haven't seen yet, Satan's sidekick, he's part clay and part iron. That means he's part strong and part vulnerable. Okay, so let's learn a little bit more about him. Let's unpack it here in Daniel 7, in verse 11. He says, then I kept on watching... Because of the arrogant words of the horn, this is the little horn, that was speaking, I was watching until the beast was killed and its body destroyed and thrown into the flaming fire. As for the rest of the beast, their ruling authority has already been removed, though they were permitted to go on living for a time and a season. And then down in 17, he says this, these large beasts, which are four in number, represent four kings who will arise from the earth. That's what Daniel tells us. What we've said is accurate. These are kingdoms. He says the holy ones are the most high... I want you to chisel this in. I want you to listen. Just lean in. Okay, in the middle of the hell that comes on this world, listen to what it says. The holy ones of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will take possession of the kingdom forever and ever. Pause right there. I just want one thing about that. Second, okay, I want you to understand something. No matter what happens in this world, at the end of the day, Jesus is still king, God's still on His throne, and the children of the Most High God, those of us that have been bought and paid for in the blood of Jesus on a cross, we've received His grace gift, (laughs) we win. All right? It's not a game, it's not a war, it's a reality. And we are victorious through Jesus in the end, no matter what happens. So no matter what you read in here, no matter what you hear on the news, no matter what happens in your world, if you're a child of God, If you've yielded yourself to Jesus for Him to be your Savior and your Lord, listen, you win in the end, and that's good news. Amen? Amen. All right, now watch this. Back to the real world. Then I wanted to know the meeting of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others. It was very dreadful. Uh, With two rows of iron teeth, bronze claws. He didn't say that before. And it devoured and crushed and trampled anything that was left with its feet. Going down to 20, he says, I also, watched, I also wanted to know the meaning of the ten horns on the head and, that, uh, and of that other horn which came up and before which three others fell. This was the horn that had eyes and a mouth speaking. Arrogant things whose appearance was more formidable than the others. He's going to be good looking. He says, verse 21, he says, that's how I know I ain't him. He says, while I was watching, that horn began to wage war against the holy ones and was defeating them. Until the Ancient of Days, pause right here. It's the only time you see Him referred to as the Ancient of Days. You know who that is? God. <laughs> I love that. I love saying the name of God in a holy, reverent way. I hate to hear people say, use God's name in a, in a, a profane way. It just drives me nuts. I don't even say, oh my gosh, because I, I, I know why, why they say that. It tears me up. I'm, you can do whatever you want to do. But one day... I'm going to stand before the Ancient of Days and I want what days I knew about him to be as reverential as I could make them. And I mess that up sometimes, okay? The Ancient of Days, it says, God arrived. Yeah. And judgment was rendered to favor the holy ones. There we are again. Favor us. And he says, the holy ones of the Most High. Then the time came for the holy ones to take possession of the kingdom. Yeah, we're going to be in charge with Jesus. This is what he told me. The fourth beast means that there will be a fourth kingdom on earth that will differ from all the other kingdoms. It will devour all the earth and will trample and crush it. Verse 24, the ten horns mean that ten kings will arise from that kingdom. What kingdom? Roman kingdom from Europe, probably. Another king will arise after them, little horn, but will be different from the earlier ones. He will humiliate three of the kings. He will speak words against the Most High. Now he'll, now he'll begin to say that he's God ultimately. He says he'll harass the holy ones of the Most High continually. Now remember this because this can get confusing if you're not careful. His intention will be to change times and to abolish the established laws. They will be delivered into his hand for time, times and half a time. All right? Now, the satanic sidekick. Go back one slide for me, uh, Harrison. He said, I want you to understand something. Time, times, half a time. Who in here has heard of the great tribulation it's going to be seven years where, where hell will just blow up on this earth? Seven years of tribulation, we heard of that? Okay, and sometimes you'll hear that halfway through it, three and a half years, uh, the abomination of desolation, the, the satanic sidekick, the Antichrist emerges and he said, Listen, I'm God, and if you don't accept that, I'm going to kill you. Okay, have you heard that whole three and a half year thing in the middle? Where does that come from? It's, it's, it's really neat, but it also can be confusing. He says here, time, back, time, times, half a time. Time, a year, got it? Times, that's plural, that's two times, two years. Half a time, half a year, six months. This is one time plus two times is three times, plus a half time is what? Three and a half times. We're geniuses, okay? Three and a half years. In in Revelation, John shares it differently. We'll look at it in a minute. He just says 42 months. I'm going to make it real easy for you, okay? Uh, And so, so for three and a half years, so now here's the thing. It says, I thought you said that the church was already raptured before this took place, right? But it says right here for three and a half years, he'll he'll have his way with the holy ones. Well, I thought we were in heaven. We are, okay? What's it talking about? When the church is removed, it doesn't mean people won't be saved during the seven years of tribulation. There will, in fact, be people saved during the seven years of tribulation, all right? And the problem is if you put off being saved until the church is gone and you get saved during the tribulation, it will ultimately cost you a martyred life. You will be a martyr, okay? And that's what it's talking about. A a believer during the tribulation has hell to pay because the antichrist who's from hell is the king, all right? Now, some people want to believe and it's okay. You can believe this. There's scripture to help you believe this, that, that the church is here for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, but just the, the, the easy stuff, not when the bad stuff comes, okay? And some people believe that, and that's okay. In fact, if the tribulation begins and I hadn't been raptured, I'm that guy. <laughs> I, believe in, I believe we're going to see the first three and a half years. I do not believe for a second that the church goes through the whole tribulation. Why? Really good reason. You know who the church is in relationship to Jesus? The bride, the forever bride of Jesus. There's just something about Jesus that convinces me that before the great day of the marriage supper of the Lamb, before the great day of His wedding, I just don't see Him taking His bride and beating the living daylights out of her just to get her ready for the wedding. Did you do that for your wife? If you did, you don't have a wife, right? I don't see Him beating up His bride so He can, you know, okay, now i got you all beat down, put this veil on because I don't want to see your black eye because we're going to the wedding, So I believe he removes the church from the tribulation, from the abuse. Now, this satanic sidekick includes uh, all these promises that he's uh, going to work, uh, that he's going to work out, that he's going to play out. here's the thing. What we do is we spend a lot of time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, right? And you know, it's really not that difficult if you read after some people. All you do is you have to determine the number of the name because the beast, the Antichrist, has a number, right? You know the number, 666. Right. And we want to know who the Antichrist is. All we have to do is work a little magic with a formula, create the numbers of the names, get the alphabet out, and, and uh, voila, we can determine who it is. So over time, you know who the Antichrist has been uh, absolutely emphatically determined to be using this n- numerical way and, use, and massaging it a little bit? The Pope. He's been to Pope. the Pope. A couple of Popes. They've been the Antichrist. Um, Martin Luther, the Reformer, Antichrist. John Calvin, Antichrist. John F. Kennedy, <laughs> Antichrist. Bill Clinton, Antichrist. All of us would vote for him as Antichrist, okay? Just kidding, okay? And uh, all the way down to guess who? Donald J. Trump. Did you know that people thought he was Antichrist? How's this work? You get the number of their name. You take their letters, you put numbers to them, and you do a little magic. And if it doesn't work out the first time, you add a surname, Mr. Miss, President, Leader, whatever you wanna do, something to make the magic work. In fact, it's such an accurate science that if you thought real hard, you could probably, probably, ladies, convince the world into believing that your husband is the Antichrist, okay? I know some of you have had small children that sometimes you wonder, maybe this is him. Okay, maybe this is her. Okay, if we spent as much time concerned about King Jesus as we do about the satanic sidekick, we would be better Christians and our world would be a better world. Okay, so it's not important that we know who, who he is. It's important that we know that he's real. It's important to know that our king will ultimately Defeat him. Now, he's known through Scripture by a lot of different things. If you read, you'll find out he's the, the king of fierce countenance. He's the prince. He's the willful king. Uh, he's the abomination of desol- uh, desolation. He's the beast. He's got all these names, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter, okay? Now, uh, because, those, uh, because those of us who are Christians are removed from what he's going to issue upon th- this world, uh, we'll find out if you read Scripture, he's going to be a good looking guy. Okay? We'll find out if you read Scripture. He's going to be very articulate. He's going to be brilliant. He's going to shine like the sun. He's going to have answers to all the world's questions. Okay? And he ultimately will be murdered, or at least it'll look that way, and he'll rise from the dead. Why? You remember he's an imitator, not a creator. He'll imitate the resurrection of Jesus, and people will follow him. All the questions of the world, he will somehow have the answers. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Next slide for me. Uh, the, the, as, as you continue to read, you'll find out that in Revelation chapter 7, that there's hills around this place, and we learn it's Rome. If you go to Rome, you'll see seven hills surrounding Rome. You'll learn that there's a false religious system, which is called the harlot found in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 13 too, you find out the uh, Antichrist will, will, will ultimately culminate. Uh, the whole story will unfold and develop fully in the Antichrist, okay? And it's all in Revelation. Now in Revelation 13, John, who was the beloved disciple, who got boiled in oil, didn't die, put him on an isle called Patmos, the rock island. And while on that island, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day and he got this vision of Jesus, a different view, the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus showed him the church. Now here's what's interesting about it. Jesus Jesus talks about the church in the letters to the church in chapters 2 and 3. After after chapter 3 in Revelation, the church is not mentioned on earth anymore. Another reason we believe that the church is removed from the earth. Now, what uh, John saw? Same thing, different perspective. This was written written in about 70, uh, 70 to 90 A.D. It says, then I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. Daniel's vision had seven heads. They were just on different beasts. It says, on its horns were ten diadem or crowns, and on its heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast that I saw like a leopard, but its feet were like a bear and its mouth was like a lion. you remember those? the beast of Daniel. And it says in its, uh, and, and the dragon, that's Satan himself, he gave, uh, he gave the beast his power, his throne, and his great authority to rule. One of the beast's heads appeared to have been killed, but the lethal wound had been healed. that's his fake resurrection. And the whole world followed the beast in amazement and they worshiped the dragon because he had given ruling authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast too, saying, who is like the beast? And who's able to make war against him? The beast was given a mouth, speaking proud words and blasphemies, and he was permitted to exercise, permitted, permitted, permitted. N- notice that. God is permitting all of this. God has never left his throne, never stopped being God, never stopped, n- never stopped being less God. He's still God. He permits things. He says he is permitted to exercise ruling authority for 42 months. Three and a half years, all right? The satanic sidekick. Now, uh, now there's, there's all this attention given the Antichrist. And when we read Scripture, when we read prophetic Scripture in Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, uh, uh, Revelation, and others, if we're not careful, we get a little bit like, uh, okay? And Daniel did too. We'll see at the end of this, he says, you know, the color left my face and, you know, it sounds like he says, somebody just punched me in the stomach. You know, he just feels the heaviness of of this stuff. But here's what's beautiful about it. Daniel sees a beast. John sees a beast. The world, we look around and we see the effects of the beast. But There's a beast beater. Okay? There's one who's above the beast and Daniel didn't stop. Excuse me. God didn't stop showing Daniel everything bad. And that's what Scripture does. Scripture often paints a very bleak story A very difficult story of life. But if we keep reading, he always shines through with the rest of the story. Like Paul Harvey, it's the rest of the story, right? So let's look at the rest of the story. Here's the beast beater. This is the one that that nails it all. And I want you to listen what we have to look forward to as the Christian community, as those who are saved, born again in Jesus' grace gift. Verse 9, while I was watching thrones were set up in the ancient of days, took his seat. His attire was white like snow and his hair, the hair of his head was like a lamb's wool. His throne was ablaze with fire and his wheels were all aflame. (laughs) This is our God, all right? It says, a river of fire was streaming forth. This is purification judgment. He says, in proceeding from his presence, many thousands were ministering to him. Many tens of thousands stood ready to serve him. That's us. We're with him. It says, the court convened and the books were opened. Ah, Here's the books. Now, let's pause right here. I want you to understand something. This is powerfully important, written 2,600 years ago to you, okay? Daniel sees now a courtroom when hell is breaking loose on this earth. He sees a courtroom, he sees the sovereign one, the ancient of days, God Himself, over it all, flame flowing from, a river of flame flowing from His presence, and. There's the books. Now, what are the books? There's a book of deeds, which I'll show you in a minute in Revelation. And there's a book of life, the Lamb's book of life. We all walk a path on this globe called life. And at the end of our journey, whether it's a long journey, a lady uh, told me this this morning, Marie Anderson, her birthday, she just had her 88th birthday. That's really cool, okay? She's got a long journey, all right? Some people's journey don't get to last that long. At the end of the journey... All of us are in a book, okay? We are either in the Lamb's book of life or we're not. And if we're not in the Lamb's book of life, when it's all over, we won't get into the Lamb's book of life. The other book is the book of deeds. You see, Revelation will tell us that there's people who want to answer to God for their own deeds. They want to look at God and say, God, I got this. Okay, I know all my bad. I know all my good. My good outweighs my bad. You're going to let me in because I'm good. I'm gooder than I am badder. Okay, no, that's not true. It's a lie from the devil. We only get into heaven because we're in the Lamb's book of life because of what Jesus in his perfection has done on our behalf and we allowed him to apply it to our life. Now, how real, listen to how real is it? How real is this book? How determined is God to offer you an opportunity to be in the Lamb's book of life? You ready for a beautiful story? Just a couple of months ago, we had a thing called Fall at the Mo, Fall at the Museum of Appalachia. It was beautiful. I loved it. We were there. Caitlin, my older daughter, was standing over in the field doing something and she saw my grandson, Judson, who's five. My grandson, Judson, who's five, is 100 miles an hour without any brakes. okay? That's just who he is. I love him. It. He's awesome, okay? She looks over, and we had a little girl in our uh, youth group that was playing a guitar and singing a, a hymn about Jesus. And Caitlin looked over, and Judson is 50 yards away standing on a bale of hay listening to a little girl sing. She knew something was wrong because he was standing on a bale of hay listening to a little girl sing. So she walked over, and when she got over there, she noticed he had big tears in his eyes. He's five. He's 100 miles an hour, no brakes. She went over and she said, hey, buddy, what's the matter? He said, somebody's calling my name. And she said, who called your name? He said, Jesus. She said, what did he say? He said he wants me to be in his super book. Now, let me just go ahead and let you know something. As is Popo, who's a preacher, I don't drive down the road saying, Hey, Judson, I want you to know something. You better straighten up. Hell's coming. Okay, you've got to get your name book in the super book, Land's Book of Life. Okay, no, we don't, we don't talk about that stuff. Okay? But on this bale of hay, on this night, 50 yards away from a little girl singing a gospel song, the Holy Spirit of God touched his little heart and introduced himself. Now watch this. It gets funny. She said, um, what's he want? He wants me to be in, in, uh, in his super book." And Caitlin said, about that time, a peacock came flying through Right in the middle of this spiritual moment, he goes, "Ah, peacock," and took off running. Okay. So then Caitlin says, uh, "What do I even do with that?" I said, "You ain't got to do nothing. You ain't didn't do anything with that first part. God's doing that." Now, the next night he was over at the house, and he—this is who he is—he's back to his regular self now. The peacock came through, the Holy Spirit left, and now he's back. Okay. He shows—I'm not kidding—he shows up the door ready to fight. He's got the lid to a metal pot in one hand and a wooden spoon in the other. He's in his underwear. He's ready to fight. All right? Well, I'll fight. We fought till he wore down or I wore down. We went over and we sat on the chair and I picked him up and I sat in my lap. And I, said, I said, hey, buddy, did you have fun at the museum? He said, yeah. I said, what was your favorite part? He said, the obstacle course. I said, oh, that was cool, yeah. I said, did somebody call your name? He said, yeah. I said, who? He said, Jesus. And I said, what did he say to you? He said, He wants me to be in his super book. I said, that is so cool. I said, what would you say to him? He said, I told him, I didn't even know you were healed. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Now, listen to me. That's what God does. He finds you right where you are, right how you are, right who you are, right where you are. He sends his Holy Spirit from heaven and he goes and he touches you in the depths of your soul that you didn't even know existed. And he invites you into his presence. That's what he did to me when I was 10. I wasn't as smart as he was at 5. He waited When I was 10, that's what he did. And that's what he's still doing today. Now, watch this in Revelation chapter 20. Verse 11 of chapter 20 of Revelation says, Then I, John, the revelator, saw a large white throne. And the one who was seated on it, the earth and the heaven, fled from his presence. And there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead... The great and the small standing before the throne. Then books were opened and another book was opened in the book of life. So the, so the dead were judged what was written in the books according to their deeds. Now he's talking about finally at the end of it there's a judgment for the dead. The people that, don't, that aren't raptured, that don't go to heaven to be the bride of Christ, they're dead. And they're judged for being dead. And they're judged based on their deeds. There is no deeds you can do good enough to outdo the bad deeds you already did. And so it takes an outside source of rescue to come and, 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 and fix that, to forgive that, to pay the debt of that to make you right. This is the sea. He says, The sea gave up the dead that were in it, the death in Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each one of them was judged according to his deeds. The beast beater. In the end, Jesus wins. Now, let's go back. Verse 13 through 15. Watch this. Verse 13, back to in, in Revelation it says the sea of dead. I'm sorry. The next one. What is the next one? Okay. So here's what happened. He he's going to judge. Now, all of that said, here it is. Here's where we land this plane. You ready? There's a day coming when there's an antichrist who's going to emerge as a leader in this world. And yet there's a king, King Jesus, who is still on his throne, who is going to win the whole thing. And all of us, you, me, the people we know, we all uh, have an opportunity to decide which team we're ultimately going to be in, to be on. Now, where do we go? Where do we go? Says Daniel 7, 13, 14. To him was given... Ruling authority, honor, sovereignty, all peoples, nations, and language. Groups were serving Him. His authority is eternal and will not pass away. This is the kingdom of Jesus. His kingdom will not be destroyed. Now, let's go on down. He says, as for me, Daniel, my spirit man was distressed. And the visions of my mind, they were alarming me. And then he says down in verse 26, but the court will convene and His ruling authority will be removed, destroyed, and abolished forever. He's talking about the it's Antichrist reign. Verse 27 of Daniel 7 says, then the kingdom authority and greatness of the kingdoms under all the heaven will be delivered to the people of the holy ones of the Most High. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and authorities will serve Him and obey Him. This is the conclusion of the matter. <laughs> he said all of that. That there is a satanic sidekick who's going to come to this, this globe and he's going to emerge as this great leader who has all the answers. And Jesus will still be the king of the universe no matter what happens on this planet. Jesus is still the sustainer, creator, and king of the universe. And he says... And at the end of it, the holy ones of God adopted into the kingdom through Jesus His Son will rule and reign with Him, will serve Him for all of eternity. And He says this is the conclusion of the matter. So I want you to know, Christians, you don't have to worry about the stuff, the junk, the evil that the devil has in store for this world. Because the conclusion of the matter is God is still large. God is still in charge. Jesus still rules. Jesus still reigns. Jesus still loves you more than you possibly know. And He'll walk in this journey with you and help you experience life in its fullest. So how do we live our lives knowing that truth? You ready? He tells us that too. Two things. The first one we read, we find out that we have work to do. We have work to do. Can we find that last verse, guys? Here it is. We're to go into all the world. We're to go into all the world proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You ready? If you have Jesus in your life today, there's a world out there. We sang it in that last song. They need to hear what you already heard. You need to help them get to a place where they'll hear from God You can't invite them into heaven. You can't save them into heaven, but you can encourage them and help them know that there's a God who will. There's a God who will reach from heaven like He is doing in the life of my grandson, like He did in my life, who will reach in the middle of a mess with His beautiful message of redemption. We have work to do. The second thing I want you to see, it says, therefore stay alert because you do not know the day or the hour, we're supposed to live our lives watchful for His return. We're supposed to live not oblivious and one day surprised. We're supposed to be lookers, seekers. We're supposed to be looking, man, is this the day? Because if we live today like this was the day He was coming back, don't you think it would modify how we lived just a little bit? Or maybe a lot. And so with that, I want you to bow your head you to close your eyes we're called to witness or to work and to watch And that's the conclusion of the matter and maybe today you came to to this church on this hill because it's what you did maybe you really weren't looking for anything maybe all the while God orchestrated it because He's looking for you. And maybe on this day just like my grandson you're surprised by something deep within you that's bigger than you bigger than a preacher bigger than a church that God would reach down and invite you into a new place into a special journey with him I don't want you to miss the opportunity of the invitation you say okay maybe that's me what does that mean what would I do with that the Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead we shall be saved that means on this day we find ourselves where we say God I didn't come looking for this, but this came looking for me. I know who I am, and I know you know who I am. I'm a sinner. I can't fix me. But I feel like you're telling me you want to. I want Jesus, who came to this earth in the the form of a man and died on a cross for my sinful condition. I want Him to come into my life today and forgive my sin. I'm sorry for all of my sin. I want Jesus to save me today. I don't want you to stop there. I want you to send your Holy Spirit to empower me, to feel your presence, so that I can make you the Lord of my life, so that you will be my king, my master in this life and the next. Thank you for choosing to love somebody like me. I won't fully understand that until the other side of this life, but I fully and freely receive your gift of grace and salvation. Thank you for saving me. Now maybe you're here and you've already done that. We've got a job to do. We need to be witnessing. And we need to be watchful. We need to live every day like it's our last. And tomorrow we stand before King Jesus. I want to encourage you and challenge you to do that. God will help you. God will give you fruit. God will use you. He saved you to deploy you into His kingdom work. Father, we thank You for this day We thank you that you visited with us. We thank you for your amazing prophet, Daniel. We thank you for your amazing, perfect, eternal word. We thank you that it applies today and tomorrow as much as it did yesterday and the day before. I thank you, God, that you're still in the saving business, that you're still in the process of desiring to move people from the book of deeds and to write them in the Lamb's book of life. We give you praise and glory for that. And God, if there's someone today who received you as their Savior and Lord today, I ask that you would give them strength to come forward and while we sing so they'll make it public. And so I or one of our leaders can pray with them to help them as they launch into this new journey with you. Thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, God's people said. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.